Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time it started with a kid hawking papers on Hollywood Boulevard. And moved from there to a house full of hate on a quiet street. A blonde liar on ice skates. And a corpse in a burned-out shack. And it all wound up right where it really began. In the heart of the kid on the corner. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Kid on the Corner. After a day jammed full of heat waves in December, actresses who passed mascara in Long A's office talent, and producers with glossy convertibles and holes in their shoes, the world looked as phony as a $7 bill. And when I finally closed my office, stepped out onto Hollywood Boulevard into the glare from miles of sheet iron Christmas trees on lamppost trunks, and watched a loudspeaker Santa Claus with neon reindeer trundle by in a cloud of artificial snow, I'd have gladly traded all of Hollywood, California for one quiet Vermont hillside and thrown my license in to boot. All of which convinced me that what Marlowe needed most was a martini in his own apartment, a good book, and a night's sleep in that order. So I started home after them, but only got as far as the middle of the street. It was the kid who sold papers on the corner. Mr. Marlowe, can you spare a minute? I've got to talk to you. Okay, Tommy. Let's get out of the street first, huh? <laughs> I'm not so good at dodging fenders. Oh, yeah, sure. What's on your mind, kid? That's about my Uncle Bert. Bert Larson. He, he's gone, Mr. Marlowe. What about your family, Tommy? Don't they know where he is? Oh, I don't have no family. I've been living with Uncle Bert in a flat down in Van Ness. Hey, if you haven't had your dinner yet, maybe you'd eat with me in the cafeteria, huh? It's, it's real important to me, Mr. Marlowe. Anything that's important to you, kid, is important to me. Let's go in. Oh, swell. I should have known something was wrong when I heard him walking around. Late last night, you know? He said he was after a drink of water, but he's got those metal plates, kind of like taps on his shoes, so I knew he was all dressed, only I was too sleepy to think anything about it then. Maybe he just got an early start and he's been busy today, huh? No, it's not like that, Mr. Marlowe. Something's wrong. Well, you have, gentlemen. The pork's nice tonight. Stew's the best deal for the money, Mr. Marlowe. I'll uh, have the stew, please. Yeah, you better make it two, miss. Okay, a couple of stews coming up. See, when I got up this morning, I found this envelope on the dresser. There was 200 bucks inside, and this was written on the front. Huh? Let's see it. Dear Tommy, must leave town on business. I'll send more money soon. Be a good kid and take care of yourself, Uncle Bert. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. I spent all day trying to find out where he went. I checked everything but the airport. I know he wouldn't take a plane. He gets dizzy just standing on a curb. No luck, though. Milk, Mr. Marlowe? No, I'll have coffee, Tommy. I feel rugged. 
Yeah, there's a table over in the corner. Come on, huh? Okay. What really makes it fishy is that Uncle Bert's got no out-of-town business. Besides, he's never been out in front more than 20 bucks in his life. I can't figure it. Now, look, Tommy, if you're really worried, you don't want me. You ought to go to the police right away. Cops? Yeah. No, I can't. Why not? Well, Uncle Bert's been awful good to me, but, well, I guess he's really kind of a bum. You see, he's a gambler, Mr. Marlowe, a bookie. Uh -huh. Just a harmless small timer, sure, but I'd get him in an awful jam if I called the cops. Will you try to find him for me? I got dough. I'll pay you whatever you charge. Don't worry about the money, Tommy. I got one lead for you. This name here in the back of the envelope, see? Yeah. Lester Carney. And the number 3,004 and a half. Does that mean anything to you, kid? No. Oh. I'd have looked that guy up myself, only you know how far a kid could get. Sure. Gee, Mr. Marlowe, I'm sure my uncle didn't leave town. It's something else. It's gotta be. He's in some kind of trouble. Now, Tommy, you know that he might be on the wrong end of it, don't you? Yeah. Well, if that's right, I, I want to find it out fast, Mr. Marlowe. Here's a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Scared, son? Me scared? Nah. Not for myself, anyway. I... Yeah. Yeah, I guess I am, kind of. Well, okay, Tommy, eat your dinner, and then get back to work. I'll see what I can find out, huh? I patted my new client on the shoulder and left the cafeteria. But I was sure of one thing. The dry rot that gets to most people in Hollywood wouldn't touch a hard-working kid named Tommy Lawson. Who was already smarter at 15 than a lot of citizens get at 50. I stopped in a phone booth and found the name Lester Carney listed in the book at 8110 Cherokee Street. That turned out to be an oversized California Spanish model that had taken lots of old-fashioned wealth to build. Halfway up the curving walk to the already open front door, I heard the voices. All right, Susan, if that's the way you feel, I don't want you in this house another night. Well, I'm sorry, Mom, but I don't think that spying and telling lies are a part of a maid's duties, so I'm leaving. But I would like to know about my back salary first, You'll Mrs. Carney. get your back salary, my girl. Don't worry about that. Now get out. Very well, Mom. Excuse me, sir. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, what do you want? I'm looking for Mr. Lester Carney. Is he in? He is not. Oh, would you mind telling me where I can locate him? I don't know. And I don't care uh, anymore. Just a minute, just a minute. Is he with Bert Lawson, maybe? I don't know what you're talking about. Now get out of here. And good night to you, too, Mrs. Carney. <laughs> hey! Hey, Susan! Just a minute, baby! And who are you calling baby? Well, I call anybody baby when they're as cute as you are. Uh, you're not so bad yourself. Well, now that that's established, let's get friendly. I'm always friendly. But they're not, huh? Oh, there's going to be trouble in that house. Oh? Well... Good night, Mr. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll give you a lift in the car. <laughs> Let me have your bag. Well, all right. Thank you. Yeah. Say, uh, what about that trouble you spoke of, Susan? What did you mean? It's Mrs. Carney. Julia. Oh. She isn't as pretty as she used to be. She's turned rancid. She's driven that poor husband of hers out of his mind. He almost never comes home nowadays. Practically lives in his studio. Studio? Huh? What kind? Photography. Oh. It's way up in the Hollywood Hills someplace. Susan, did you ever hear either of them mention of Bert Lawson? No. Why, who's he? A gambler. I gather from Julia that Connie's blowing the family fortune, huh? Sure he is. And that's not all she's driven him to. No. What else? What do you think? Another woman, of course. Oh. An ice skater named Carol King at the Igloo. That's that nightclub with the skating show? Yeah, I've been there. Does Mrs. Carney know? Oh, she suspects. That's why she wanted me to spy on him. But I wouldn't because I don't blame him one bit. 
not with Julia being like she is. Yeah, maybe you're right, Susan. But then again, maybe you've got your cause and effect backward, huh? Yes? Well, I don't know anything about that. But that poor man's been driven so crazy, he's threatened to kill her. Well, here's where I get out. And stay out. I dropped Susan off at the car stop and headed out Sunset Boulevard for Westwood in a club called the Igloo, which looked more like a down-at-the-heel Taj Mahal than an Eskimo's bedroom. Inside a line of fast-moving ostrich plumes with rye crisp waistlines and imitation sable zipped over a short sheet of tinted ice toward the climax of chorus numbers, while I bluffed my way backstage and intimidated the call boy into sending over one Carol King. She turned out to be left end in the lineup out front, so I sat down on a cold trunk and waited until the curtain fell. And I got up to greet an athletic blonde with more than healthy face, who sidled dubiously toward me, ice skates and all, and I introduced myself and told her I was looking for Bert Larson. Why are you looking for Bert Larson, Marlowe? Well, because people say he's disappeared. Now, I know he's a bookie. You don't have to protect him on that score, and I'm no cop. Just want to know where he's gone. Okay. I hear he made a real killing yesterday, the first one in his life. Oh. I understand he's leaving town to retire. Hmm. Who's going to make book for you from now on? Nobody. I never play the horses. My friends do. Oh, friends like Lester Carney? Lester. Oh, well, now we get down to business. You smell like you're working for a wife, Shamus. Yes, again, sugar. I'm after Bert Larson, nothing else. That's why I want to talk to your friend. Where is he? Lester Carney is no friend of mine. You know, you should be smart enough to know you're just wasting your time with that pitch. Look, bud, he was my friend, sure, but that's all off, as of an hour ago. They're all through, washed up. I gave him the boot. Why, did he run out of blank checks? I ought to bust your shin uh, wide I'll open keep those skates on the floor, honey. Then skip the cracks. I threw him out because I got sick and tired of waiting. He's kept me on the string for months with nothing but promises. Said he hated his wife, but when it comes down to cases, he refused to leave her. Why? I don't know got some hold over him. He has nerve enough to break. So I wrapped him up in a neat little bundle and sent him home. It was a mess. I'll bet. Between you and Julia, he must be in a great frame of mind tonight. That's his problem now, brother, not mine. What is yours? How to keep your life on ice? No, wise guy. For your information, I'm quitting this show. I'm going to make a clean break all around. Happy landings. But look, what's the connection, if any, between Lawson and Carney? Why, Mr. Marlowe, I have no, no idea. idea. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, sugar, that's where we'll leave it for now. But in making that clean break, be sure it's not your neck. I'll see you around. I had nothing tangible to base it on, but as I left the igloo and drove back to Hollywood for some reason, I kept thinking that Tommy Larson was right, that his uncle was still in town and in some kind of trouble. And I was sure that at least half of Carol King's story had been lies, but why, I couldn't figure. And another idea hit me, and hit me hard. I turned on to Cherokee again and drove up to Connie's house at 8110, parked, and went in. There the vague hunch began to shape up like grim fact, because the front door was wide open and spilling a pale glow from the one light in the house, the hall lamp. I saw the note propped under the lamp even before I went in. I left it where it was. It said, to whom it may concern. I have paid all my just debts, my affairs are in order, and since life has been made intolerable for me, I have destroyed that which made it so, my wife, Julia. Now there's nothing left I shall dispose of myself, nor am I sorry, Lester Carney. 
And I looked up beyond the note and saw her lying at the edge of the circle of light from the lamp. Julia had been strangled by a silk cord that was still embedded in her swollen throat. I turned and started for the phone. Stay where you are. Oh. So I got here a little too late, huh? Or is it too soon? My wife's dead, so what's the difference? You better stand still because I'll shoot fast. Who are you and what are you doing here? Name's Marlowe, and I assume you're Connie. All right, I'm a private detective trying to find Bert Larson. In the process, I got mixed up in your little fiasco from one end to the other. Bert Larson. Just a cheap bookmaker. He's one of the very few people who ever gave me a fair break. Where is he, Connie? Do you know? No. Does it matter? Too bad you bunted in here just now. The man's going to do what I've decided to do. It's a most personal, private affair. It's your party. But maybe you better think it all over again, huh? I've already thought it over. Thoroughly. Turn around and walk through that door to the kitchen. Go on. Sure, sure. All right. Stop there. Now, open that door on your right. This one? Yes. Years ago, that cellar was filled with the best wines the world had to offer. What happens? You pull too many corks? Find out for yourself, Marlowe! Oh! just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, will Tyrone Power listen to Jack Benny's siren song? Will Ty consent to portray CBS's great Sunday night musician and lover in the movie The Life of Jack Benny? Tune in tomorrow and find out. No, there's never a question about the quality and quantity of comedy and sheer entertainment on CBS on Sunday night. And remember, the Jack Benny show is heard on all of these CBS stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Kid on the Corner. Lester Carney, bouncing the private detective down the cellar stairs, had been rough on both the inner and outer man and my jaw was bleeding where his heavy signet ring had connected. I was back on my feet through the dusty jumble of barrels and boxes over to a grimy side window and finally out onto the street. I found neither confessed killer nor car any place in sight, which made my next step a return trip into the house and a call to Lieutenant Matthews. All right, Marlowe. From your client to Julia Carney to that ice skater and back to Julia Carney, now dead, I follow. But the why, I don't. Where's the connection between the newsboy's uncle and this guy you say is on the way out? This, uh... Lester uh, Carney, Matthews, yeah. I don't know. You don't know, you're not saying which, Phil. Well, maybe it's a little of each. Now, look, Lieutenant, I... Just a second. What is it, Marlowe? Hold the wire, will you, Matthews? Okay, but make it snappy, will you, Phil? Killer on the loose isn't such a good idea, even if he's promised to knock himself off. Might decide to take somebody else along, 3,004 you know, and a half North what? Westmore. 3,004 and a half. I can't hear you, Phil. What? What? Oh, a, a piece of paper, Matthews, in a dead woman's hand. Oh, now you're fine. It's got an address on it. The same address that was on the back of the envelope Tommy's uncle left for him. Well, this address could be the connection I asked you about. Yeah. Yeah, the hook between Uncle Bert and the Connies. Well, we'll get right over there. We'll uh, Matthews, a wait a minute. Let me try it alone first, will you? I, I think it's it'll play better that way. And keep the kid's uncle out of the police lineup that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh-uh, Marlowe, I can't. Oh, now, wait a minute, Matthews, please. I'm thinking of the kid. Yeah, well, I'm... Okay. a boy. Just don't make it too long till I hear from you again. Goodbye. <laughs> 
I knew that the 3000 block on North Rossmore wasn't even close to the Hollywood Hills, which meant that the address couldn't be the dilettante photographer studio that the Carney's ex-maid had described. And 20 minutes later, when I was out of my car and standing next to the doorbell marked 3004 and a half, I knew something else. Because the name underneath was Carol King. A light showed from someplace deep inside, and my leaning on the doorbell only proved that it worked. There was no answer at 3004 and a half, but 3004, the other twin to the duplex, was different. It featured a sweet old lady who shattered the illusion the second she opened her mouth. I suppose you're just another one of that King girl's friends, eh? Why, do I look the type, Granny? There is no type, young man. Miss Carol King entertains all sorts. Oh, which might include a recent someone who's gray at the temple, short, and maybe talks a lot about the ponies. Huh? How would I know what her guests talk about? Oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> look, honey, a woman's been murdered tonight. And that murdered? Ma- I knew it. I knew it. No, she wait had a to come to a bad wait end. A minute, Granny. Only yesterday, Whoa, I told Henry hold it, that if that Hold it, hurt, Granny. Carol is not the one who's dead. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Sticks out all over you. Now, look, what about that man? Well, he was here about 30 minutes ago, just the two of them drinking that hard liquor like it was water and making enough noise to raise the devil itself. A farewell party, they called it. Oh. Did you see him leave? No, no. Henry made me come in then, and I... Well, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. You missed it. Okay, Granny, now, look, how do we get in here without kicking the door down? Come on, sweetheart, it's important. There may be a body inside. Uh, a body? Oh, well, how awful. Here, here. Over here, behind this ledge. That's better. She always kept a spare key. Yes, yes, here it is. But, uh, you do it. I'm too shaky. You shouldn't be. Just think of tomorrow, Granny, and the news you'll have for one and all. The light switches is on your right there. Uh-huh. See anything? No. How many rooms here? Bedroom, kitchen, and bath, aside from this. Anything in there? No. You suspect foul play, all right, don't you? The foulest. Don't let it worry you, because... Hey, those photos there on the wall. They're taken from Mulholland Drive, aren't they? One by day, one by night, both in the same spot, the Hollywood Hills? Sure, sure. That's where he has a studio, that Lester fella. Yeah, that Lester fella. Granny, do you know where it is? I mean, Mulholland Drive and where? You know, that street runs for miles along the top of the mountain. Well, of course I do. I was born and raised here in Los Angeles. Granny, where? Mulholland and where? Mulholland and Laurel Canyon Boulevard, just Ah. south of the intersection. Thank you, sweetheart, and goodbye. Oh, wait, one moment now, if you please. What's the matter? What's your name, officer? I know my rights. Your name and your division. Granny, dear, I'm no cop. Huh? I said I'm no cop. Oh, not a police officer. Well, then who are you? Just a passerby. A stranger in the night. Good night, Granny. All the way from Rossmore to Sunset, then west to Laurel Canyon Boulevard, I kept worrying about Tommy Lawson and the uncle, who from where I stood, needed at least worrying about no matter which way things played. But when I was on the strip of macadam that twists its way upward toward Mulholland Drive like a snake writhing from a long, long bellyache, I forgot about both client and relatives alike. Because at the top and a little to the south, where Granny had said it would be, was Lester Carney's studio, all right, but burned to the ground. Sure, go fast, huh, Chief? Yeah, wasn't 20 minutes on this one. Hey, mister, where are you going? Some of that metal stuff's still pretty hot. Who are you, with the law? No, Chief, I'm a private detective named Marlowe. I was wondering if Lester Carney was caught in there. He owned this shack. Yeah, I know. Is he a friend of yours? Uh, no, it's strictly business. He's wanted for murder. Yeah, he was wanted for murder, Phil. He was burned to a crisp in there. Hello, Casey. Hello, Matthews. Well, what's your guess? He started on purpose? Oh, uh, suicides hardly ever burn themselves to death. No, no. He probably took some sleeping pills or poison and then a cigarette he left going and did this, you know. Hey, by the way, Phil, 
You saw Connie tonight. You think you might recognize him? Might. Yeah, he's over there. There isn't much. Uh, oh, see you, Casey. Right, Matthews. Hey, Garson. Hey, you tied Connie and this fire together kind of fast, didn't you, Lieutenant? <laughs> I just found out about this place. Yeah, but you work alone, Marlowe. I got help. Oh. Oh, there it is. All that's left. See anything? Yeah. That ring. I noticed it earlier tonight. Uh-huh. And the watch? No, I'm not sure. I don't remember what kind of... Hey, Matthews. What is it? What are you staring at, Phil? Come on over here. Come you on. See this little piece of metal? Yeah. I think it's... Ooh. Watch, oh. Phil. Uh, you know, fire makes things hot. Yeah, yeah. Hot things burn and... Yeah. Marlo, what is it? It's an idea. Yeah, like what? Like this isn't suicide after all, like it's murder, Matthews. Oh. Come on, we gotta get to our phone quick. Look, miss, this is important. I'm calling for Detective Lieutenant Matthews at police headquarters. What passenger flights have left in the last half hour? Passenger flights? Yeah. Well, there have been two, sir. One to Dallas, Texas, the other to Chicago. Uh, both American airlines. Nothing out of the country? Well, what are you getting Will you wait you a minute, know, Matthews? Sir, however, there is a flight scheduled to leave at 1010. Uh-huh. But that's just five minutes from now. Uh, that's going to Manila. Mm. Mercury Airways. Shall I connect you? Yeah, hurry, will you please? Yes, hey, Matthews, sir. this may be it. I'm glad for you. Mercury Airways. Central Dispatcher's office, Mercury. There's a call from the police here for you. Uh, go ahead, sir. Look, your 1010 flight from Manila, is it going out on schedule? Uh, yes, sir. The plane's standing by for the tower signal now. Oh, then tell me this. Is there a passenger aboard named Bert Larson? Uh, Larson? He's one the killer, please, killer? Sir. Hurry, will you? This Larson killed Lester Connie. Then he's Will you the hold it, Matthews? That. Yes, sir. We have a Bert Larson aboard. Oh, good. Keep him there and don't let that plane get up in the air. Do you hear? The man's wanted for murder. But don't do anything else either. Just let him sit and wait for us. You got that? Uh, yes, sir. I understand. Fine. We'll be there as soon as we can. Goodbye. Come on, Matthews. It's your show from here on in. Sirens included. Okay, Marlowe. Okay, enough. So we're on our way to the airport. We're going to catch her. Kill everything is great. But first, how do things add up? And... Yeah! Mooney, take it easy. Five seconds, more or less, never yet turn the trick. Okay, Lieutenant. Were you saying something, Matthews? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying I don't know which end is up, Phil. Look, Lester Connie killed his wife, right? Right. Why? Because he wanted her out of the way so that he and a cheap little monster named Carol King can live happily ever after. Oh, divorce wouldn't do that for him, huh? No, Mooney! No, I don't think so. Probably because Julia Connie had a real tight grip on the purse strings. Oh. Maybe something more, like it's not very nice pass for a guest. Yeah, yeah, but the purse strings, the money, that's where Bert Lawson figures in, huh? A bookie with a claim. No, no, blackmail. Now, I figure Bert Lawson knew about Connie and Carol King. He must have stopped by once to pick up or pay off a bet at the right time. Yeah, and from there, what? And from there, the team of Carol and Lester kill Lester's wife. Yeah, which we've covered. But not in detail. Now, listen. You see, after the murder, Lester planned to kill himself. Yeah. Or at least make it look like that. Yeah. A suicide note, the Mulholland studio burned down the works. Yeah, yeah, and the body we found... That's an added attraction. Bert Larson included in the last minute. What? The wife and then the blackmailer? Ah, you're getting it. Drugged while drinking at Carol's, where he thought that he was going to get paid off in money, then up to Mulholland Drive, ring watch and flames added. Oh, and then then out here at the airport headed for Manila. Lester Carney. Uh Uh-huh. Hey, Mooney... We're getting close. You better kill the siren. Okay, Marlon. Now, Phil, how do you know all this? I mean, the switch. You know, what makes it so? That piece of metal I burned my fingers on, Matthews, yeah. it was a tap from a shoe. 
and Bert Larson war taps. The rest of it adds from there. Yeah, including Connie at the airport now as Larson. Sure, who'd be uh, looking for a beat-up second-rate bookie who decided to leave town? Aside from a nephew, that is. Yeah, aside from a nephew who tried every place but the airport. Uncle Bert couldn't stand planes. The brakes, Matthews. Oh, here we are. Yeah, just you and me and Mooney and the killer. Aren't you coming, Phil? Uh, no, I think I'll wait here, Matthews. I, I, I got some thinking to do. About the scum you sometimes meet in the night? No. About the kind of a kid I almost never meet in the night. See you. Yeah. All right, come on, Mooney. Maybe our boy will make a break for it, I hope. Lester Carney didn't make a break for it, and an hour later when they picked up Carol King, it was the same thing. Each of them was surly, ugly, but they talked. So when I finally left police headquarters, where try as he would for Tommy's sake, Matthews had found it impossible to skip over Bert Larson's connection as a blackmailer. It was pushing midnight, and I was dog-tired. But I was something worse than that when I was back on the corner near my office, walking toward Tommy Larson, who was untying a stack of fresh newspapers. Then the headline. Read all about it. Hollywood killer nab. Blackmailing bookie. Jealous wife slain. Hiya, kid. Hiya, Mr. Marlowe. Lieutenant Matthews tells me you had kind of a rough night. Kind of? When'd you talk to him, Tommy? After the first editions hit the street, I... I wanted to know if you were okay. The story didn't say. Pub... Publicity no good for your business, huh? Not much. Look, kid, did the lieutenant say anything about you? I mean... Oh, uh... I'm gonna stay with a neighbor. A friend of Uncle Bert's. Uh. He had friends, you know. He wasn't really bad at heart, Mr. Marlowe. Not really. I... I believe that. So do I, Tommy. He was just mixed up. Yeah. Sure he was. And you know why? The way he thought the world owed him a living, that's why. And I couldn't tell him otherwise. He... <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Marlowe. I... I gotta get going. Thanks a lot. You were swell. Sure. Extra, extra, Bookie and Babe slain in Hollywood Triangle. Two dead in Hollywood slaying. Extra, 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 nothing more pathetic than a kid the first time he's really slapped down by life we the older ones the tired ones learn to roll with a punch because we've got time in our corner watching us counseling us teaching us how to save ourselves so that the final gong we're still on our feet but a kid a kid steps into life's arena expecting to find his opponents all he was taught to believe they would be. But instead he finds the old one-two below the belt. But if here he finds a good guy, and there a great girl, the going suddenly becomes not so rough. The fight becomes worth it. If only to help the next generation of Tommies find their ring a little cleaner. 
and the brakes not quite so tough. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gil Stratton, Jr., Virginia Gregg, Wilms Herbert, Joan Banks, and Vivi Janis. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with laughter on a bright morning, in a battle over a chicken, and got better as it went along. It could have lasted a lifetime, but it didn't. It stopped on a gray morning, with a little wishbone broken. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with laughter on a bright morning in a battle over a chicken, and got better as it went along. It could have lasted a lifetime, but it didn't. It stopped on a gray morning with a little wishbone broken. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. With Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Little Wishbone. Sometimes the sun doesn't shine at 9 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes everything's just gray. The sky, the buildings, the streets faces going by, gray in a man's mind. And when I parked in front of the politely landscaped Suckle Square on Sunset Boulevard and got out of my car, I knew that this was just such a morning. And that was right as it should be, because what I had to tell her, what had to be said, belonged in gray to the chilling half-light that leaves everything and everybody something less than real. To the half-light that maybe a moment before birth, maybe a moment after death. Yes, sir. I'd like to see Miss Jones. Miss Cordelia Jones, please. I called. My name is Philip Marlowe. Oh, oh yes, Mr. Marlowe. I'm Mr. Early. Come in, please. I, um... Uh, the police told me what happened, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks. 
May I see you now, please? Yes, of course. It's the last door down on the right-hand side. Uh, this way, Mr. Marlowe. The plush carpet that ran the length of the corridor was also gray. And that fit, too, with the morning and with what I had to tell Miss Cordelia Jones. But, well, it didn't fit with another morning. Three weeks ago. A morning that was bright inside and out. And it didn't fit with Jonesy. <laughs> oh, not Jonesy. The stranger in the butcher shop, the customer with the enchanting green-gray eyes. The girl who wanted the same sewing chicken I did. And in no uncertain terms. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, no, you don't. Possession, my friend. It's nine cents for the law. And that young lady is just what I'm holding. Namely, one wing, one neck, both legs. Give me that. No, I got here first. Oh, no, you didn't, Mr. Marlowe. Ah, but neither did you, Miss Jones. Ah, it was a tie. A photograph finish. Now, who really needs this scrawny little bird the most? Me. Me, too. I do. I am the one who needs... We're not all talking together. Now, you first, Miss Jones. I, I, I'll be the judge. No, Fair okay. enough, Mr. Schwartz. Your Honor, early this morning I was inspired. Yeah. I woke up thinking about chicken cacciatore. Chicken cacciatore? What do you think I was thinking oh, about? Please, I was please, thinking please, about... Please, about please, no, no interruptions now. Now, young lady, you woke up thinking about chicken cacciatore. Well, go ahead, my team. Well, I think. For chicken cacciatore, you need chicken. And since I cook for one, I need a small chicken. End of testimony. Uh-huh. And you, Mr. Marlowe? The same, Judge. Honest to goodness. For inspiration, do I also cook for one? No, oh, ma'am. He's not even spoken for. You? Uh-uh. Well, good. Then that does it. That does what? Solves the problem. Tonight, you have dinner together. Oh, no, we couldn't. We don't even know each other. Why, this Mr. What's your name again? Marlowe, Phil Marlowe. What's yours? Jones, who did Oh, but don't dare use the first part I answered as Jones. Oh, dear. Dear, now you know each other. Well, suits me. Jonesy? Oh, no, I... It's the 100 North Carolina. 8 o'clock. Don't be late, Alan. Send the bird out, please, Mr. Schwartz. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, yes, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, yes, Mr. Schwartz. Uh, you can put the chicken down now. We are the only ones in the shop. Well, that's the way it started. And it had gone along at about the same clip from the chicken cacciatore, which was the best I'd ever eaten. But only because I could look at the lovely chef while I ate it. Passed a wonderfully gabby evening that I didn't want to see end. But end it did. For lunch the next day and the day after. I oh, yeah, Jonesy was something all right. By profession, an artist around the edges. She painted beer cans and the like for an ad agency downtown. So her place on Sheremoya was half studio, half apartment, and all cozy. You know the kind of cozy that makes you want to curl up the second you walk in? <laughs> Always makes you hate to leave. But leave you did because Jonesy liked to go places. Jonesy liked to do things. Liked to play miniature golf and badminton and, uh, of course, bowling every Wednesday night. Okay. Marlowe out in front it is, but the lady still has one car left. All right, let's see it. Here we go. Hey. Tell me, am I great or no? Which? Great, baby. Real great. And now, ladies and 
gentlemen, before we start through the observatory proper and tonight's exciting trip to the moon. Oh, double the dirty, double-crossing demons. Oh. I'm talking about you. You, you, you call my office. Pool beer tonight, you say. Let's just look at the moon. Are you silly? You bet I expected Mulholland Drive. Yeah, park car and all. Oh, come on, Jonesy. We can still get out of here. You. Uh, have you two quite finished your little chat? Uh, quite. I, uh, here's a... <laughs> We're sorry. We'll be very quiet, we promise. Okay, we'll stay with you. <laughs> Something breaking you up, Junior? Yeah. Young love, my friend. Always does. Now, excuse me, but I don't think I care to listen to a charming guide anymore. Good night. That man going to the door. Yeah. What did he think of? That he was leaving, that young love always broke him up. Why? Because I... I don't know. I guess I thought he was somebody else. But come on, this guy's great. He wouldn't listen to a Or the moon over Mulholland Drive. Phil, be tactful, boy. Lady appreciates it. Most of the time. Hmm. inimitable style, Jonesy was crazy. <laughs> but there, too, I went right along with her. Because in those three weeks, I passed up a half a dozen jobs for every one I took. Never stuck my chin out very far when I did go to work, and all in all, tried my best not to behave like the high school sophomore who suddenly realized that spring can mean something more important than baseball. We were at her place one night. The evening plans had called for me to sit as a model, from the wrist down exclusively. All I had to do was hold a bottle of Johnny Walker in the pouring position while she sketched it. But I just couldn't get with things. Phil, you're fidgeting again. Yeah, and I'm not going to get any steadier. How much longer, Jonesy? A minute. Don't think about it. What about tomorrow? Sunday. What are we... Loads of them. Oh, give. What happens first? I come over here. It's breakfast, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And after hotcakes, bacon and eggs, coffee and lots of cigarettes, no, we can... Uh... Anything. Huh? Oh, yeah. Well, come to think of it, I have. <laughs> Grapefruit broiled. <laughs> we'll start with that. Then the eggs basted, oh, and then... Oh, impossible. <laughs> I'm helpless. What next? After you've gorged yourself, I mean. Yeah, well, after I've gorged, we'll get into my car and take a ride. Say, uh, Laguna Beach? Oh, no, not that, Phil. Not Laguna. Uh -huh. You what? What is it, Jonesy? What's wrong with Laguna? Nothing, Phil. I... Oh, it's just that I don't like it there. It's an artist colony, you know. Go ahead. And it's where I couldn't make a go of it once. <laughs> I'd rather not go back. I'd rather go someplace else. Anytime. All right? Sure. Yeah, I thought it was something more serious, Jonesy. I mean, not that your work doesn't count, but... You're but... a detective without office hours, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Do I go back to the bottle bar? Uh-uh. You don't move an inch down. Yeah. Hey, give me that stuff. Pencils, board, paper, all of it. We'll put it over here, and I... Oh, you can't. I'm crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. Nervous, huh? Yeah. Oh, no damage, then. I don't think. Glad it wasn't your watch. That's broken. Mm-hmm. Hey, baby, it's kind of cute. Miniature ice skates, huh? For my kid brother. Oh. I think we were going to be a great skating team when we grew up. Really? 
And uh, the four-leaf clover? A well-wisher, way back at college. A girl. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, kid, Terra Hearts Entwined, how about that? Also back at college and none of your business. Okay. And this thing? Hmm? Here, where the piece is broken off near the chain. What was that? Well? It was a, a wishbone. Mm. Oh, when I lost it. You put the bracelet on my wrist, please. I, I just remembered I got to finish this sketch. It's due first thing Monday morning. Do you mind? You mean I got to pose some more? No, no thanks, Phil. I, I can finish it alone. I'll, I'll look for you tomorrow morning at 10. All right? All right. Good night, Jonesy. Sounded someplace between pouting poor Marlowe. The girl he goes for keeps secrets from him. And plain male pride. Goodbye, Jonesy. You'll live your life and I'll live mine. But by the next morning, I told myself on the switch. Some things just weren't my business. I wasn't a private detective where Jonesy was concerned. It would all work itself out. Life would go on. And it did. Breakfast was wonderful. Broiled grapefruit and food. And the ride to what turned out to be Santa Barbara, perfect. Though in the days that followed, no more was said about it, and nothing unusual happened. Until the following Friday night, that was night before last, we were at a square dance at a local daughters of something or other lodge. The exercise would do me good, she said, and I was learning in a hurry. I thought. Yeah, they'll hear from me again, too. 
Nothing's happened in this corner in the last six months worth talking about. You're wrong, son. It's run the gamut. For instance, last August, a baby was born over in front of the drugstore there in a taxi. Mrs. Wright, Gail Wright it was. Uh, Old Cy Lemley, the druggist, delivered a fine job to an eight-palm boy. And uh, on the other end of life? Yeah, that too. A fellow named Peters. He was a kind of belated war casualty, you might say. How do you mean? Well, he went through the First World War without a scratch, and then he got himself killed by a hit-and-run driver right over there in front of the tavern, and it happened just a month ago. Oh, no, Mr. Hit-and-run. A man dead. Yeah, about 2 o'clock in the morning, they say. To this day, they haven't caught up with the driver. To... Say, what's the matter, son? You're white as a sheep. I felt like I'd been hit hard below the belt. I don't remember what I told the old man. All I could think of was Jonesy on Armistice Day. A hit-and-run death and a slimy maggot breaking a wishbone charm between fat fingers. But my next step was mechanical. I started checking rooming houses that catered strictly to artists, and the third one paid off. More than I expected. Cordelia. Yes, I remember Cordelia. Come in. Thanks. And she did have a room here, Mrs. Winkle. Yes, she did. Now, what was it about Cordelia, Mr. Marlowe? 
Well, I am a friend of hers, Mrs. Winkle, a good friend. I'm trying to locate her. I see. Well, Cordelia left quite suddenly in the middle of the night, Mr. Marlowe. Left a half-finished canvas behind, too. Beautiful thing. Yes, sometimes artists have to spread their wings and fly. Even in the middle of the night? Ah, yes. I used to myself when I was younger, heaven knows. Tell me, Mr. Marlowe, is anything wrong about Cordelia? Why do you ask that, Mrs. Winkle? Because the morning after she left, it was uh, Armistice Day, I think. A man came here asking about her, a fat man. Did you know him? No, and from what I read in his face, I don't think I'd like to. Look, Mrs. Winkle, i got to find out all I can about the guy right away. He means trouble for Jonesy, uh, Cordelia. You see, she... Well, what I mean is... Don't that... bother explaining. I think I understand. As it turned out, this fellow used the telephone while he was here. His name is... Uh, oh, let me see now. Uh, Orland, uh, something weak and sniveling like a big... Big, Bigley. That's it. Orland Bigley. He made a reservation at the Beekman Plaza Hotel in Hollywood. Bagley, Beekman Plaza, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, now look, did you tell him anything about Jonesy leaving like she did? Oh, goodness, no. I said she planned on leaving. Uh-huh. I even told him what we had for breakfast. He just smiled. It was dirty. Then he went away. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mrs. Winkle. Thanks a lot. Good luck, Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> Good luck, she said. <laughs> sure. All the good luck Marlowe and a girl named Jonesy had coming was burned out on a street corner at 2 o'clock in the morning a month ago. But we still had a chance. If I could only talk to Jonesy. All the way back to L.A., I worried because... For that, I had to find her first. I was halfway down the hall to my apartment when I heard it. My phone... I ran to the door and practically ripped it off the hinges before it stopped ringing. Hello? Hello, darling. Jonesy! Jonesy, where are you? Oh, that doesn't matter. I just called to say goodbye to you. I couldn't leave without that. Now, look, you're not going anyplace. You're going to sit tight right where you are till I get there. No, it's no use, Phil. I'm in a bad jam. I should have told you all about it long ago, but, well, it's too late now. It's not too late, baby. I just got back from Laguna. Honey, I know all about it. Look, look, you're in love with a good private eye, you remember? Don't run, baby. That's not the answer. There isn't any answer, Phil. There never was for us. Jonesy, please, will you shut up and listen to me for a minute? I can't, Phil. I've thought it all over. My mind's made up. So I'm going to have to get out of this mess in my own way. Honey, we've got to talk. Come on, where are you? Please, Phil. Just whisper. Just see, I'm having an awful tough time with this pitch as it is. Jonesy, baby, look. Don't make it tougher on me. I'm sorry, boy, Phil, but thanks for the buggy ride, Mr. Swell, while it lasted. Baby, baby, you can't run. Don't try it. I know that, but I... Okay, Jonesy. We'll make it the hard way. Since I couldn't stop Jonesy from running, I figured I could at least stop the guy who was chasing her. So I called the Beekman Plaza and found out that all in Begley was still registered. I got in my car and started for the hotel, but then I got another idea. There was a good chance that a sleazy, blackmailing crumb like Beggy carried a record of his own. Anyway, it was worth a try and would pay off better now than a beating. So I went to police headquarters instead where Detective Lieutenant Matthews was his old sympathetic self as usual. So, 
You got some citizen all staked out, and now you want to find out if he's a crook, huh, Marlowe? What is this, something new in crime detection? Now, look, Matthews, I'll come down some quiet Tuesday, and we'll make all the jokes all afternoon, but right now... Now, wait a minute. If you're going to dip into police files, I would like to know a little bit more about it, huh? No joke. All right, the guy goes by the name of Orland Begley, fat, dark, 6'1", about 40. Mm. Could be anything from a badger to a bum check artist. Right now, he's shooting an angle that includes me. So I find him in the files, I want an exclusive on him for 10 minutes, then he's all yours. Yeah? And what's the hooker? Why are you included? Because of a brunette named Jones. Oh. Jones, huh? Yes, Jones. I'd like to make it Marlowe someday. Oh, fool, Matthews. This time I'm serious. Okay, Phil, okay. Help yourself. You'll find about 3,000 fat guys in there, you know. 2,000 of them with dark hair. Go ahead and start. I'll send in one of the clerks to give you a hand. Matthews' guess was close. With the clerk's help and hard work, we narrowed the field down to a few hundred cards and started through. The street lights had been on outside for an hour before we finally found it. Forty pounds lighter and sporting a mustache, but there was no doubt about it. James Orland, alias Jim Orlo, alias Orland Biglow, was now Orland Begley, with charges that ran from petty thievery in Louisiana to one that even got Matthews on the ball. Begley was wanted for murder in Rhode Island. What are we waiting for, Marlo? Let's go get him. <laughs> piled into the squad car and headed up Sunset Boulevard, I began to feel good again. For the first time since Jonesy had run away at the square dance. When we turned up Whitley, Matthews cut the siren and two blocks above the boulevard, we stopped. Around the corner from the Beekman Plaza. It was a two-story frame hotel held together by countless coats of cheap paint only. And inside a line of empty sweet air bottles said it took something more than ordinary ventilation to keep the musty smell from getting thick enough to chew. Jittery night clerk managed to tell us that Bagley had room 212 and left his mouth hanging open while Matthews sent him outside. Marlowe, you mentioned 10 minutes alone with him. You still want it? Yeah. It's important to me, Matthews. Hmm. Okay. Somebody's got to go up and get him. Might as well be you. Look, the boys will cover his window from outside and both ends of the hall from the landings. If it gets tight, just whistle and duck. Go ahead. Upstairs to the second floor, where the only light was a red bulb at the far end of the hall marked fire exit. Just then, midway down, I saw a figure backing out of a door. A fat figure was having trouble with a lock. He turned, took three fast steps toward me before he realized I was there. It was all in Begley. When he saw me, he stopped and began slowly backing up. Hey, you, uh, what do you want? What, what are you doing here? Where is she, Begley? I, I don't know. She ran out, I guess. It's all off, anyway. I'm not going through with it. I, I changed my mind. Sure you did. Come here, you! You lousy, murdering pig, Begley. Get out! Uh, how did you know that? How'd you find out? Police filed bulletin from Rhode Island. Uh, you mean you... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm hot. I had to have dough. That's the only reason I tried to shake the kid down. Hey, but listen. Uh, you got me now, so let's make a deal. I'll keep my yap shut. Not one word about that hit and run. You let me out of here. Bad chance, you slimy oh, butt. Okay, sucker. I've killed him more than once. But you won't stop me. Nice going, Marlowe. You got him. Flat on his face where he belongs. Hey, where are you going? Find Jonesy Matthews. I gotta talk to her. Hey, 
Yeah? There's a brunette here in this guy's room. You better come in. Well, you hear that, Marlowe? Brunette. Well, let's go. It looks like you can do your talking right here and now. Come on, boy. I went along with Matthews, all right. But it didn't work out like he expected because what I had to say to Jonesy then just couldn't be said. Not in a cheap hotel with a bunch of tough cops standing around it. I had to wait. Wait for the hours of a long night to pass. The night I spent pounding the sidewalks through miles of back streets while I tried to get hold of myself. But all that had been 12 hours ago. Now it was morning. Now I could look at her again. Yeah, now as I followed Mr. Early down the gray carpeted hall to a door, I figured I could tell Jonesy all I wanted to say. She's here, Mr. Marlowe. In here. Thanks. Well, Jonesy, I guess you didn't understand that when two people are in love, they share everything. You didn't give me a chance, Jonesy. You see, I found out Begley was a killer after you'd already gone to his hotel to get him. You crazy kid. You should have trusted me, Jonesy. Played it straight. Because no matter how you added up, we had something worth waiting for. Well, as you said, thanks for the buggy ride, baby. It was great. Oh, here's your little charm. Wishbone. Sorry it's broken. Bye, Jonesy. Is there anything else I can do to help Mr. Mullow? No, no. Nothing. Thanks. Mm. Good day, sir. Hillcrest Mortuary, Mr. Early is speaking. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Bill Johnstone, Jane Morgan, John Daner, Edgar Barrier, and Ann Morrison. The square dance was called by Paul Pierce. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Rourke. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time, a tobacco-chewing engineer, a redhead running a bulldozer and a leprechaun on a drag line, all added up to death at an unfinished trestle. And there could have been more. But then I found out which one had actually submitted the lowest bid.
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Gerald Moore, comes to you every Saturday evening at this same time, transcribed. For the... That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.